So here we are, right? We are finishing up uh, this, this long journey through the book of Galatians. And if you're new here, or just as a reminder for all of us that aren't new in the book of Galatians, it is written to a, a, a bunch of church plants in, in modern day Turkey. And here's the gist, right? Is that Paul is writing to not just encourage, but also to correct these church plants that are, are months or perhaps a year or so old. And, and, and his correct is really about their false belief that salvation, that righteousness is found in Jesus plus your efforts. Now, we've heard that and it goes, okay, yeah, yeah, I got it. But it's a, it's a constant reminder for all of us that salvation is not found in Jesus plus you, but only in Jesus alone, only in Christ alone, only in him do we have our ultimate hope. And so today is one final invitation one final invitation from our mentor, Paul. We've called him our, well, I've, I don't know, I've called him my mentor here these last several months. Be like, man, just, just bring me in close, Paul. I don't get it. Help me. Our, our one final invitation from our mentor, Paul, to consider the weight of community. The weight of the community that you purpose to be and the weight of the community that you allow to have influence in your life. You see, we are in a world that sucks away our time, one activity and one app at a time. Are we not? Like, and so our time is precious. Our, the people that we spend time with, it is a valuable uh, effort and a valuable piece of our lives. And so we need to make that time count. And we need to count that time wisely. And so my question, I think Paul's asking us this question, or several as we get started. Have we considered the influence that they, those people around us, or that we are having on one another's process of maturity? Have we considered the weight of what we are bringing, quote unquote, to the table, and therefore what others are bringing to our table in the process of our spiritual formation into Christ? Paul's argument throughout the whole book of Galatians is that the people that you're listening to are gonna have a huge impact in your formation, a huge impact in your maturity. If that's not the argument that he's, he's kind of making throughout the book of Galatians, why is he constantly calling us to examine the false teachers, the circumcision group, the ones that have said and come in and everybody really likes and respects and everybody, they've come in kind of after Paul and they've started to say, yeah, 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 Paul is good, but you know, just remember, he's afraid of you. He doesn't want to tell you the real truth about circumcision. And instead, they've started to come in and sow seeds of doubt that truly salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so these false teachers have come through, and they have started to sow those seeds of doubt. And he is making these arguments and saying, man, we, he is so insistent that they, there are those that are among you that are harming you, not hurting you. And they're deceived into thinking these false teachers are actually helpful in their spiritual walk. But Paul is calling for all of us to realize those that appear helpful may not be. And those that appear harmful may not be. And instead, how will we kind of live this life in community together? So as Paul invites us to consider this, he, he begins to write in his, ho, his own hand. And so in verse 11, he writes these words. He says, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. So he has gone into bold font, right? 
He's gone into all caps, bold, and it feels like, like, um, like the dude from Anchorman, is it Brick Tamlin, who's going, loud noises. That's what it feels like to me. By the way, that will not be the only reference to some random movie. If you want to get all the references in my sermons, you can watch four movies this week. Anchorman, which maybe you shouldn't do. I don't know. Pastor can't recommend that one. Um, Three Amigos, I can recommend that one. Um, and Princess Bride, you definitely, if you haven't seen that, I don't even know if you're a Christian. Um, oh, I just put circumcision on you. No, nope. uh, but for real. And then the last one is Nacho Libre. I know. You're going to either love me or hate me at the end of this. But that's the way it is, right? And so I, this is like what he's doing. He's, he's going, look, large letters, loud noises, pay attention. And I have started to coach baseball again and softball. And so I've got a dozen. Who decided to put a dozen little five and six-year-olds on the same team and not nine or ten? I don't know. But I think I'm, my, my, anyways, I'm not going to go there. But anyways. Hey, hey, okay, but when I started to coach them this last week or two, I've looked at them and I go, guys, I need you to listen with your eyes. Listen with your eyes, please. So I don't want them to listen with their ears and they're going, I need you to listen with your eyeballs, aka look at me when I'm talking to you, right? This is Paul's way of saying, I'm writing with my own hand now. Let me remove every barrier, even um, an amanuensis is this person that would have heard Paul teaching and telling them what to write down. I want to remove that barrier to you. I want to remove all barriers to you. And so now I'm writing to you from my heart to yours, Paul says. And so there's one final plea for us to be invited into considering this weight of community. So listen with our eyes. We need eye contact because Paul is more intimate and caring than we have given him credit for throughout this book. And he has some strong but very sincere words for us. And he's saying, look, you can take these to the bank because they're coming straight from me. Don't doubt them. This is the truth. So as we wrap up Galatians, right, as we're wrapping up today, how are we going to respond? How are we going to respond to Paul's plea to discern who is amongst us and who we're becoming for the sake of the community that we long to see? My prayer is that we would humbly hear Paul's heart today one last time so that we may respond well because Paul's invitation is one of self-reflection. As much as we could go, oh yeah, you're definitely like that. What we really need to do is go, what about me? Am I like that? Because he's gonna split the camp into two parties and really our whole time is gonna be understanding these two parties and the first one is this, those that boast in themselves. Because here is the deal, right? We all are gonna take pride in something. We're all gonna boast in something. What is it that we're gonna boast in? And so as we look at this, verses really 12 and 13, let's, let's, let's pick up this letter in those verses and start to understand what it is that Paul is saying here, right? So um, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand, verse 12. Basically saying, look, I need your eyes right here on me. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may, be, may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. He's splitting the camp one last time. And he says, those amongst you, if you want to know what's going on, like judge them by this one last thing amongst your community. Will you be a person that will boast in yourself? 
And what does that look like? Well, there's characteristics that he kind of helps us understand to discern what it is and what we need to be looking for in ourselves, amongst others, of what it is that it looks like to boast in self. Now, in, upon first uh, reading of this, you start to think like, I've never boasted in circumcision. Can't say that we, anybody has done that. Like, I don't know if I've ever heard anybody be like, well, you know, I'm circumcised. Okay, that's weird. I don't, I'm good. Um, but that was a thing in, in, in first century Galatia. We may, we may boast in baptism, we may boast in a prayer that we prayed. We may boast in some gift that we have. But what are we boasting in? Are we boasting in the work of Jesus? Or are we boasting in ourselves? And so he is going to help us dis- discern what this looks like. Because this is right under our nose. This is right in our hearts. This isn't about people out there or in Galatia in the first century. This is about people right here in these seats in our church. So characteristics of those who are dangerous um, kind of in us, this dangerous part of us that we're boasting in ourselves, um, the first thing is this, is that they focus on their persona. Oh, they just all came up together. Good. Well, there'll be no mystery on what we're talking about today. Um, So the first one is they focus on their persona, not you and not them. Here's what I mean by that. It says that they are, are worried about making a good showing. This idea that they wanna look good on the outside And that's their priority, that's their main focus, is their persona, how it is that they they kind of project themselves, and it's really a means of protection so that their person never gets hurt, never gets truly exposed for who they really are. And true community is found when when we find the courage to just be who the Lord has made us, opening ourselves up to someone else because we know that the Lord knows who the person is. He doesn't just see the persona and he's not just satisfied with the outward look of who we are. He knows exactly who we are in the deepest recesses, the darkest plates of the corners of our hearts that we've hidden away under lock and key. He came down and he, he literally or spiritually went into those places, kicked down those doors, pulled us out of those dark places to expose us as people that are broken and needy because that's the kind of people that love Jesus. The ones that know how deep and dark their hearts truly are, right? And so these false teachers are more, in, more inclined to talk about their persona, uh, uh, more inclined to care about what they are perceived like and not really about who they really are. More than that, because they make a good showing throughout the book of Galatians, he's made the, the, the argument that you guys like them. Like the Galatians, like they've come in and they have proven to you, they have shown to you that they're trustworthy people, at least on the outside. And so Paul is saying, no, like pay attention to who they really are because you're gonna like these false teachers. These false teachers are gonna be your friend. You're gonna really hate that I have to say that these guys are dangerous for you. And so he's saying, man, like when they get exposed and when you start to see through these characteristics of who they really are, you're going to be tempted to think, couldn't be them. Couldn't be that, girl, that gal. Couldn't be that guy. There's no way. Those are nice people. They're good moral, good quality neighbors. They are well liked, though, because Paul will start to unpack this. They are well liked, though, because they don't actually love you. They love what you can do for them. Isn't that what it means here at the end where it says like um, that they boast in your flesh? If you will get circumcised, if you will do the things that they want you to do, they're gonna boast that you've become 
like them. They see you as a project, not as a person, because they see themselves as a project with this persona that needs to get projected. And so, like, in the context there, right, if you're a Galatian Christian, you might come to one of those false teachers and go, man, like, I, I felt the Lord when Paul came in here, but he just has felt distant to me. And their first question would be like, so, so have you been circumcised? And you would go like, no, no. Well, you got to get circumcised, man. That's why he feels distant from you. And so modern day context is like, so have you prayed enough? Have you, where are you at in the scriptures? Those are good questions, by the way, but they're not a means of righteousness, right? So have you, have you done this? Have you done that? And so these false teachers are the ones that propose to have all the answers and they have whittled down the Christian life into a few how-tos, into a few little just nuggets of morality is what these false teachers have come in to do. The circumcision group narrowed maturity down to circumcision, obviously. It sounded easy, but it lacked the power of God's character. It lacked the power of the gospel, which inherently means that God is going to make all things new one day, but not yet. It lacks the power of the patience of trusting in God to make good on who he said he was going to be. Because at some point, his character is going to slowly be revealed as he makes good on his promises to his people in his time. We can get morality. We can get easy uh, pickings on Christianity, but we could miss the Messiah. And that's the danger that the false teachers bring into our context those that are focused on persona, those that are focused on our confirmation to them. Here's what I mean by that. Because it's the second thing, right? They force you to conform. They force you to conform into a man-made standard, even that of circumcision, which is like in the scriptures. And you might say like, okay, well, that's not me. But candidly, I can just say this, candidly, Grove Church, beloved, my brothers and my sisters, this is us. And you are thinking to yourself right now, how is that true? How do we conform? How do we force, compel, put rules on one another towards circumcision? So it's probably not circumcision, but it is a whole lot of other things. So let me just remind us of what it is that we're supposed to be formed into so that we can have a picture here. If we go back to chapter four, verse 19, you remember Paul's analogy of childbirth? That I'm in the pains of childbirth for you so that what? In, for, in verses, uh, chapter four, verse nine, my little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Not until Paul is formed in you. Not until circumcision is formed in you. There's the standard, it's Christ. There's the goal, it's Jesus. So the goal for all of us is to be formed into the image of Jesus over our lifetime. It will take our lifetime. There's no shortcuts to it. No matter how mature we are right now, we still got a long way to go, right? That's the standard, that's the goal. And what happens and what's happening here for these dangerous false teachers and perhaps even in our own midst when we expect or demand anyone to become more like us in order for us to accept them, in order for us to enjoy them, in order for us to trust them, we have become the circumcision group. We have become 
people that are set up in a trap to be really unhealthy, much less unspiritual. So here the, here's how this works. Um, I've spent a lot of uh, my marriage frustrated at my wife uh, for the wrong thing. Uh, my wife doesn't know I'm sharing this, so welcome. But I have, right? So, um, so, like, so, so I can spend a lot of time thinking about the cleanliness of my home. Um, and so I can walk in on a, on, a, on a bad day, right? And I can go, okay, well, um, I don't know what happened here. But um, uh, apparently I'm the only one that cares. That's the inner dialogue for me. Apparently I'm the only one that cares. I wish my wife would care like I do. I wish she would steward what the Lord has given us like I would. I wish she would just be faithful with those cups over there. Put them in the dishwasher. Yeah, just wait. You can woo now. You ready? And you know what she'll say to me as we've had three kids over the last almost 12 years? Hey, do you want me to care about the cups or do you want me to care about the kids? And I will say, the cups. Be the cups, be great. I mean, you can barely think about the kids too. Does it have to be an either or? Can we just do both and? No. Because some days are just that way, right? I can spend a lot of time expecting her to be like me. And then I can dress it up in spiritual language of stewardship and faithfulness, right? And trusting the Lord. And why would you not care as much as I do? This, my friends, is a deep trap in all relationships, including the one that we would have with God. How can you organize or ordain this world the way that you have? You should do it like I would. See, you see the danger? It's not just about one another. Anytime we relate horizontally, it is a reflection of how we relate vertically. So there's a danger that's before us. That's the danger for me in so many different ways. But we expect and demand anyone to become more like us in order to respect them, enjoy them, like them, follow them. We are on the wrong side of this circumcision fight. So husbands, will we expect our wives to become more like us or more like Christ? And don't confuse the two, friend. Wives, will we expect our husbands to become more like us or more like Christ? When we're parenting and your kid doesn't want to play catcher anymore, will we expect her to? Or will we say, man, you get out there and shortstop and you, you get it, man. You get it. See, we can start to play out our own lives and our own expectations in so many different ways. And so that's the call. How is it that I'm forcing you to be more like me instead of inviting you to be more like Jesus. Huge difference. And because it's huge, this is pretty much like the only point that we have for the rest of our time. But don't check out because there's other examples to come. For instance, someone called me recently and they wanted to know if we were business casual on a Sunday. And I said, you're welcome to come business casual. It's not how we roll. Um, and, and like, so for me, I just like, you're gonna now judge me how I pastored these people. Um, and I said, man, if you're concerned about business casual, that's the least of concerns that you have with me. Because I, I will do nothing but, but probably frustrate you. Because there's no standard by which we're gonna live by except what's in the scriptures. And I'm gonna call myself and I'm gonna call you again and again and again to go back to the scriptures and live by those standards. And live with a standard of faith working its way out in love, 
and, 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 and obedience to Jesus' call to repent and believe in the good news. Repent again and again of the standards that we've set up for ourselves and for one another for righteousness and believe in the good news that Jesus is the standard of righteousness. The only perfect one, right? So the bottom line here, right, is that we are being made into someone's image. It is either of those who expect us to be conformed into their image or it is to be formed in the image of Jesus. So let us be the kind of people who surround ourselves and become these kinds of people who are inviting people to become more like Jesus. When marriages fall apart, it is because, when I sit down with any marriage that's fallen apart or on the way, it's because the husband or the wife or both have started to look at each other and go, you're not like me. I want you to be like me. Instead of let us purpose to become like Jesus because when we start to do this number, this little dance of tension in our marriages, we have missed the point and we will start to drift further and further and further away. But if we will purpose to become more like Jesus, will we not start to come towards the middle and all of a sudden we start to fight less, we start to, to, to do all sorts of things less, we start to love each other more, like all the things that you want in the marriage start to fall in line, not because you're purposing to do X, Y, or Z with your husband or wife, but because you're purposing to follow Jesus. And when both people are starting to be formed into the image of Jesus, they ultimately start to come together. So the goal is Christ, not one another. What else do these false teachers look like? Quickly, they are blind in hypocrisy. They set a standard for others that they cannot keep for themselves. They are heavy in oughts, well it ought to be this way, and in shoulds, well you should have done that, but they are light in grace and in mercy. They tell you to do certain things, but they listen rarely. Finally, what they would do is they avoid persecution, they avoid, avoid pain. It's right here, all this is right here in verse 12, that they make a good showing, their persona, right? They want to force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Why? Because they're avoiding being identified with someone who died. And so they're gonna avoid pain. But when we fail to identify with the cross of Christ, we avoid being treated like Christ. And when we avoid being treated like Christ, we make it obvious that Jesus is not our ultimate treasure. We are. Our comfort, our security, our power. So Christian, one thing is for certain in this world. You will suffer. You will experience pain and loss. You will experience trouble. It's what Jesus said. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We will have pain, we will have loss, we will have suffering, we will have questions that go unanswered about why is God ordaining and designing and sovereignly ruling and reigning the universe like the way he is. But let us remain humble. See, this is what the scriptures say all throughout the New Testament. Luke 6, Luke 6, 22 and 23, it's in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says these words. He says, blessed, blessed, blessed are you when people hate you. And when they exclude you, you don't want to be rejected? Me either. It's part of life. It's part of the Christian life. When they exclude you and they revile you and they spurn your name as evil. <laughs> Not just a bad guy, evil. Now I just went into Austin Powers and I can't go there. <laughs> Help me, Lord. 
on account of not you, but of the Son of Man. Verse 23, it says this, rejoice in that day. What will you do whenever they spurn you and count your name as evil? Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time with that one. Leap for joy, for behold. Why? Because everything's going to work out. Mm -mm. Not in this world. Your reward is great in heaven. Students, when you live this Christian life in high school or middle school, and I pray every, almost every morning for my daughter that goes to Wertheimer, Lord, set her apart to live for you. But that's going to mean she gets rejected. Lord, help her deal with that rejection. Not, Lord, make her popular. Lord, help her just get along with everybody. Mm. Don't gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul, young Reese. Don't do it. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets, a.k.a. it's been a long-standing tradition to kill people who live for the right thing. 1 Peter 2.20, B. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, that is a gracious thing in the sight of God. When you suffer and endure, it's gracious Philippians 1.29, you don't have to go there, but it's, it says this, that, that suffering is a gift. It's been granted to you. Do we see it in those ways and in those terms? All right, now, so that's one, and now the other. Those that boast, not in themselves, not in their own performance, but only in the cross of Christ. Let's look at what Paul has to say in the rest of this passage if we finish up. But far, in, in, in like stark contrast to all of that, Paul, for but far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world, for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation, as for all who walk by this rule, uh, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Verse 17, from now on, let no one cause me trouble for by, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. So what does it look like if that's what we don't wanna be, if that's what we're kind of keeping our eye on in the community? What is it that we're purposing to be those who would boast in nothing less than the cross of Christ? These people, they read in the scriptures in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone and not of works so that no one, not one single per person, not a pope, not Mother Teresa, not Gandhi, not you, not me, can boast except in the cross of Christ. There's no work that can satisfy what God has required of us. So they draw you to believe these people, people like Paul, they, they boast in the cross. They draw you to believe the same thing about your life again and again, and they invite you. They don't tell you. They invite you to not boast in any good work, to not whittle down the Christian life into simplicity and into platitudes and pressures to perform, but a deep, abiding trust in the work of Jesus, even when it looks like it's not working out. They invite you to believe again and again in the gospel of the kingdom. That what? That God is fully pleased with you because of the sacrifice of his son Jesus on your behalf. Not because of your failure, not because of your success. No, only because of the success of Jesus on the cross. And if we would place our trust, if we would put our faith in him, you will, promised, 
You will be saved, not just from eternal hell, but from living a life of scorekeeping. Not just scorekeeping with one another, but scorekeeping with the Lord. And just how somehow, like coming to the end of your life or at the end of your day and be like, man, didn't live it right for Jesus this week. You are saved from that. That is not the full life that Jesus came to give. And so all of a sudden, God is freeing us from others, forcing us to be like them, and therefore for us, forcing them to be like us. He's freeing us in this gospel, this good news of frustration when others refuse to do what you're asking them to do. A life which is not measured on whether or not you are killing it, but, or, or really on if it's killing you, but instead on the killed Christ on the cross who has died and resurrected and reigns and rules at the right hand of the Father and right now is calling you to trust in his rule and in his reign and in his grace and in his mercy. And so the great question really isn't about community. It's about our hearts. Who will we purpose to be? See, Paul says you need to be a person. This is the person that wants to be identified with Christ, his sufferings, right? He is dead to the world, the second part, that the pull of the world's economy doesn't reign and rule over our hearts anymore. The need for significance, the need to be liked, the need to succeed, it all takes a backseat to being known. Do you remember that? That you know God, or rather, you are known by God. They're being known by the King of kings and under the sovereign reign and rule of our good Father. Can you see the difference? Those that have not crucified themselves to the world, and therefore the world to them, they use Jesus' words to make this life work. And those that have crucified themselves to the world realize this world is broken and won't ever work until Jesus comes back. He makes it new forever and ever. Perhaps that's why the next characteristic of those that are boasting in Christ are those that don't count circumcision or uncircumcision or baptism or not baptism or anything else. Instead, they give God credit because the only thing that matters is the new creation. They aren't worried about anything except what God has done or will do. They have a big trust in God as they understand their part in the kingdom. So what you can't do is just disengage from God's reign and rule. Oh, he's sovereign and he's good. And so he's just gonna do it all. No, he's, he's inviting us to participate in him in this story of renewal. And so our responsibility is much like Jesus's. Go be present with people, trusting God to bear fruit in his time. Presence and faithfulness, not anything else, right? And so when we're thinking about bearing fruit of the Spirit, which is just in this, in this book, right? We're thinking about those things. It cannot be manufactured. Only God gives growth with patience, with endurance, over the long haul, you see, formation and maturity is not about the proper technique. It is instead about trust. And so this, in verse 16, it says that, man, this, that neither circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything. Verse 16, and for all who walk by this rule, what will happen? Peace and mercy will be upon them. If we would just quit comparing ourselves to one another, demanding that others would be more like us, what will happen? The promise is peace. 
in our own hearts and in community and mercy as we realize how much we have done this to God and how much his standard is put on us and how much we've fallen short of him. Right? This is a rule of life that grace would be a rule of life. And then finally, what is the last characteristic of those who would boast in the cross of Christ? They reject rejection. Verse 17, from now on, let no one cause me trouble for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Paul is basically rephrasing, re-quoting the great theologian Nacho Libre when he says, go away, go read some books. And I tell you that, you guys don't laugh at my Nacho Libre jokes and I'm, y'all, it's all free on Netflix. Go read some books. And he says that by saying this, Bother me with this issue no more. Go fill your time with another issue, not circumcision or uncircumcision, but only grace, only the new creation, which is faith working its way out in love. Paul's final word on the matter, quit worrying about living for the approval or rejection of those who are forcing you to be like 